0: I appreciate your guys lowering the bar for me. <laughs> oh
1: the bar, I I oh, the, bar yeah. the bar is real low. The bar is so friend. low.
2: Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bolsby and Melissa Kersher
1: Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Wendy. This is... Melissa. And we are joined tonight by our very special guest, the incredibly literate and well-learned Pat Harrigan.
2: Hi. <laughs> Hi, Pat.
1: <laughs> Pat has brought us a delicious wine that, of course, we've already been drinking. Woo-hoo! <laughs> this is a coccoban, which... I know, right? Cocoban. It's, it's just fun to say. Cocoban. It's just a red blend. It's shimmery. There were red grapes they blended them in california in 2013 um i like i like the name a lot and i like the wine a lot we've sourced grapes from the finest california vineyards to handcraft a rich silky red blend with a soft luxurious finish i don't know about you but this sounds like a porn wine to me
2: although it's kind of dry i don't know if i want my porn to be quite that dry
1: <laughs> chafing, but it, I like dry wines,
2: so I I like them like my Englishmen. <laughs>
1: I don't know what that means. You like your Englishmen chafing? No, just kind of well, dry, humoured,
2: I suppose.
1: Yes, yes,
2: or perhaps like Terry Thomas. I don't know.
1: Hello, hello, <laughs> hello.
2: <laughs> that, that's going to be the joke that will never die. Hello,
1: I'm Terry Thomas. I have an overbite. And I'm (laughs) British. All right. So, Pat, when we approached him, gave us several great ideas. And so, tonight we're going to talk about... David Bowie. David
2: Bowie. Yes. Speaking
1: of British. Yes. (laughs) All right. Now, Pat, you wanted to start this
0: episode off. I do. If you guys will indulge me, I want to read a couple of paragraphs from Joe Queenan's book, If You're Talking to Me, Your Career Must Be in Trouble.
2: Excellent. (laughs)
0: Excellent. And this is an essay about rock stars on film okay uh most of whom he dismisses in a contemptuous but witty way oh good but here's what he has to say about david bowie i thought this would be a good way to start this podcast the only top shelf rock star in history who has consistently done memorable work on the screen is David Bowie, debonair, good looking, talented, and blessed with a brain roughly twice the size of everyone who ever played in the Eagles combined. <coughs> Bowie has managed to avoid the dismal roles that come quite naturally to the Adam Ants and Ringo stars. Perfectly cast as an anorexic extraterrestrial in Nicholas Rogues' *The Man Who Fell to Earth*, he was superb as a wicked goblin in *Labyrinth*. Icily mystifying as a British army officer in *Merry Christmas, Mister*. Lawrence, cadaverously effective as an aging vampire in The Hunger, amusing as a con-artist bartender in the Linguini incident, and the only good thing in the pestilential 1986 musical Absolute Beginners. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Pestilential. Wow.
0: With the exception of The Man Who Fell to Earth, all of these films are victimized by serious artistic problems. Labyrinth has too many Muppets. The Hunger has too (laughs) few scenes with Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve in bed together. (laughs) The Linguini Incident has Rosanna Arquette. Oh, Absolute Beginners has no script, and Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence has an overbearing soundtrack, a weird plot line, and somehow manages to create the impression that Tom Conti has been airlifted out of Reuben Rubin and into the bridge on the River Kwai, while <laughs> Bowie has once again fallen to Earth and been unfortunate enough to land in a part of it occupied by the Japanese army. <laughs> so... With the single exception of the absolutely atrocious Absolute Beginners, all of Bowie's films are worth watching, if only because of his unrehearsed strangeness.
1: Bowie... (laughs) I want unrehearsed strangeness somewhere in my life.
0: Bowie is the only rock star to have ever brought anything to the movies that the movies didn't already have. He is also the most enduring of the 70s great glamorous weirdos. (laughs) There will always be a place in my heart for the Zigster.
1: (laughs) that
0: is lovely oh
1: that's that, brilliant i can see what yes that's you, great you you are right that is an
2: excellent way to start off this episode
0: now what else are we going to talk about he's covered it all
1: i think unrehearsed <laughs> oh, I <laughs> I strangeness you, you know what is it, the name of your david bowie cover my... <laughs> band actually yes yes it is the name
2: of my david bowie cover band and actually, that uh, passage made me think: Why hasn't David Bowie done a film with Tilda Swinton?
0: They've done I... a video together for the oh, uh, for the new album. They play vampires or something like it. I think oh. it's been a while since I've watched it. but it's the yeah. new album that came out last year. Okay, they are the mm-hmm. same psychic genome.
1: We can start,
2: you know, with the film that also encompasses his uh, music career, which is Ziggy Stardust and Spiders mm-hmm. from Mars. Yep,
0: it's a concert film from mm-hmm. the early seventies. Yeah, the last. Uh, of the Ziggy Stardust tour was put on film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, we've watched it, you, yes. you and me, uh, within the last couple of years. It's pretty good, uh, but it's an early 70s concert film, and so it's good for the music and for his many, many costume changes <laughs> over the mm-hmm. course of it. But as far as... I mean, it doesn't have a narrative, it doesn't have a story or anything like that. It's more of a time capsule than, I think, a, a movie, exactly. He's not acting. Yeah.
2: Although there there's a theatricality to Bowie mm-hmm. in his
0: performances
2: that was really kind of unique to him at the time because it it was it, that well, that was kind of the lot. birth of glam rock in that there it wasn't just rock
1: but there was this theatricality that swept into mm-hmm. it uh, was he the f- I don't know a whole lot about Glamrock. He was one of the first. of. He was yeah, certainly one of
0: the first. Fairly early, uh, yeah. Before that, you've got Mark Bolin from T-Rex as the big figure. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I forget exactly when the New York Dolls and um, – but then Brian Ferry from Rock to Music is also about the same time. But he was the one who really kicked it up a notch.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> and specifically with Ziggy Stardust.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and of course, he became a superstar with it, you know, the, the, because that theatricality is what made him kind of iconic. And you know it was that that otherness he had, and the the androgyny, and the
0: costumes, and the, and the
1: you know gender along bending, with the music. And, mm-hmm. the, yeah, yeah. and the yeah, and the music. Did you see the Glass Spider tour?
0: That's much later. That's from the mid eighties. Yeah,
1: but I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, there is a concert video of it, and. It's it's very theatrical. I mean, not yeah. so much, mm-hmm. so much in his persona, mm-hmm. but in terms of there's this bizarre sort of narrative through it, and <laughs> um, and the the stage elements are just mind bending. Mm-hmm. It's super cool. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it.
2: But anyway. but even in his public persona, he had different yes. personalities throughout time because mm-hmm. you know he had the Ziggy Stardust era and the Thin White Duke era and
0: Ed, insane. Ed I I insane and
2: Aladdin sane and
0: so, yeah, I mean, one thing about the Ziggy Stardust period, it's it kind of contradicts what uh, Queenan says about his later roles. This was a very rehearsed sort of strangeness. This was a yes. very constructed personality. It was deliberately different than his early folk rock roots. Mm-hmm. He put on Ziggy Stardust as a character like he was putting on a costume. And at the end of the tour, which you see in the concert film, he discards that. and says, this is the last... The last concert that we will ever do, mm-hmm. by which he means that he's not going to tour as Ziggy Stardust anymore. He goes on to do Aladdin Sane, goes on to become the Thin White Duke or whatever. But it's a calculated thing. He's not a crazy weirdo. He thinks about his personalities and he engages with them, very calculated ways. Very mm-hmm. smart person.
1: It rem- oddly, it reminds me of Madonna.
0: Oh, absolutely, very much. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. She's she's the other big rock star, to my mind, that does that. She
1: she very calculatedly. Creates a persona and then she sheds it and goes to the next generation. Mm -hmm. Brilliant marketing. Yeah. I
2: I was going to mention um, one of the reasons that we had, one of the many reasons we have Pat on our podcast, aside from him being wonderful and erudite and and articulate, unlike us when we've been drinking. Pat. And I actually paired up to do a David Bowie night every yes. year for several years in a row, which we should get back to doing. We should mm-hmm. because uh, we we'd pick a few films and celebrate David Bowie's birthday, mm-hmm. and uh, and watch them. And you know, mm-hmm. one one of the more recent ones we watched Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Yeah. And Pat is an expert mixologist and would make cocktails based on David Bowie. And they were extraordinary. I did
0: I? Don't remember what There's exactly a lot of reasons
1: to like you I yeah. had
0: we had different foams because you know <laughs> there's the foam that you put on cocktails these days or maybe that fashion has passed but for a few years ago there was there was foam there so depending yeah. on what the foam was it was either a Ziggy Stardust, mm-hmm. or a Thin White Duke, or an Aladdin Sane. Mm-hmm. And one of them was like Campari foam, and one was green Chartreuse foam, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what everything was. But yeah,
2: there uh, were so many colors going on. Like my 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 tongue was a very dubious shade of something by the end of the <laughs> evening. <laughs> so I have this
0: they were little delicious though whipped cream thing that uh, <laughs> we make the foam in. You know, so you put the egg and the the liquor and whatever it is, and then it charges it and then you squirt it out Mm -hmm. i one of the guests that a friend of mine had brought i eh, it was very embarrassing because i was trying to foam her drink and i hit it too hard and it blasted the foam into her cocktail glass and exploded like a volcano all over my (laughs) uh my dining room (laughs) so that was the david bowie thing that i remember
1: it was very very embarrassing i ruined a cocktail It was
0: terrible (laughs) here i am talking about it four years later
1: Okay,
2: so, so should we, should we uh, reel it back and go uh, chronologically, because that would bring us to The Man Who Fell to Earth.
1: All right, before you get started on this, I'm going to admit I watched The Man Who Fell to Earth once. I rented it from Netflix, mm-hmm. back when you used to get the discs, and it sat on my table for a month. And then I finally mm-hmm. watched it all on my own, And or did I, or did Chris just give up and go to bed? I kind of found it interminable. It Nick, Nicholas
2: Rogue is a filmmaker that I find very hard to get a beat upon. Mm-hmm. I've I've watched Was several... it
1: actually 4 hours long cuz no. it
2: felt like it's it. But it does feel like it. Yeah. I I will agree with you. It's 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 a very oddly paced movie and and most of Nicholas Rogue's movies are like mm-hmm. that.
1: It can be a challenge to get through. It's I will the, give it. I'm it? here to support those of you who mm-hmm. find it a challenge to get through. I'm your I'm your representative on this panel. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I think it's worth watching, but it's, oh, yes. it's you know, watch it in the afternoon or something when you're not going to fall asleep. Yeah. Um, see it I, on I as big a, a screen as possible.
1: I liked a lot of the imagery, but it was a film that I felt didn't really either... Because I can get through a movie that takes its time, right? Mm-hmm. But this felt like a film that didn't actually know what it wanted to say. And... It
2: kind of wanders around. Yeah. I, I, I've seen as I said, I've seen some of uh, Nicholas Rogue's other films and like walkabout. Mm-hmm. I, I think his style works really well because it's a bu- kind of this coming of age story where this young white girl and her brother, right? Jenny Agater, I think. Yeah. Jan- yeah. Jenny Agutter, uh, goes wandering around in the Australian wilderness and an aborigine finds them. And the three of them wander, these three young people wander around in the wilderness together. And that kind it, Nicholas Rogue's sensibilities mm. really kind of fold into that storyline rather well, because there's kind of a search for something, but there's this languidness to it. And when you embark upon watching something with David Bowie in it, not many people expect languidness.
0: <laughs> Although he he certainly embodies languid in that movie. Oh, I mean, he he's does. He's passive to the point of almost disappearing. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, he's, he's almost non-reactive he's inert like a noble gas
0: <laughs>
1: seriously he you no matter what you do to him in that movie he's just gonna stare at you there's nothing's gonna happen
2: where is david bowie on the <laughs> elemental table
0: <laughs> what, what's the symbol for cocaine
2: yes. <laughs> cn <laughs>
0: That's, I mean, that, yeah. Yeah, at least the Atomic
2: weight eight ball
0: <laughs> The Wikipedia page I was reading yesterday tells me that he was Just basically high out of his gourd on cocaine During every second of that filming Which oh, is yeah. weird that it turns out such a languid Performance but yeah
1: cocaine's an Upper that's a mm-hmm. stimulant And he's just like
0: mm-hmm. It's probably the only thing keeping him alive
1: Either that <laughs> or he's gone So far around the bend That everything is slowed Down to a point that he's just sort of Time has frozen.
0: <laughs> Nobody's moving. He's like the Flash.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> he's moving so fast. He looks like he's frozen. Yeah,
2: although although there are moments in the movie where you get to see pretty much all of his body, and mm-hmm. you know, you can you can kind of tell he's got that that drug chic going on.
1: Yeah, pasty. That, you, you can mm-hmm. damp.
0: Endomorphic.
2: And, yeah, and, and, yeah, like his body has eaten away almost all of his, you know, fat-based connective tissues and is working on everything else.
1: All right, either feed me or I'm going after the pancreas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's a scene in the movie where he collapses because he's not used to Earth's gravity uh, coming up in the elevator. He collapses and Candy Clark picks him up. And carries him down the mm-hmm. hallway into a hotel room. And it looks like it takes her no effort whatsoever. She's not a very large w- yeah. woman either. And she just hauls this bundle of sticks onto her shoulders and <laughs> takes him down the hall. It's, it's remarkable. Well,
1: there has never been a point in his life where David Bowie has looked meaty. Let's no. just be clear about well, yeah. that. Yeah. He's looked a lot healthier, but he's not a man who's ever, you're ever going to be like, hmm. Hmm. Mm, I could sink my teeth into that. No, you'd just be gnawing on bones.
2: <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like banging a bag of antlers.
1: <laughs> very attractive bag of antlers. A very attractive. Very bag of antlers. interesting. Definitely a very interesting <laughs> bag of antlers. And he wears those pants well in Labyrinth well hello
0: that's true that's true you're not the first woman i've heard or even some men comment on that
2: there, there are so many human beings that reach their sexual maturity by watching labyrinth <laughs> Just,
1: be, between jennifer um connelly jennifer Connolly, and david bowie yeah there's a whole lot of ha there was something for
2: everybody there
1: oh and, and, and the muppets, muppets.
2: <laughs> the muppets
1: yeah for, for everybody else yes. for for your <laughs> far edges of yeah. the spectrum
0: So, The Man Who Fell to Earth. So, it's written by the same guy, and I can't remember his name, who wrote The Hustler. Oh, really? I didn't know that. They wrote Walter Tevis. He's a novelist. He wrote a number of books, but the two most famous ones are The Man Who Fell to Earth Mm -hmm. and The Hustler, made into the Paul Newman movie. You wouldn't think it, right? They have nothing to do
1: with one another. Uh, Yeah. That's okay, then.
0: Yeah. So that, I'm just going to put that out there.
1: All right. That this is amazing. Is, this
0: is something our listeners could have found on Wikipedia, but now they don't need to go that far. <laughs>
1: That's right.
0: I just told them that.
1: <laughs> you have saved them all that work. Thank you so much, Pat Harrigan.
0: Thank you. <laughs> so I've, I've read the book, but it's one of those things that kind of vanished in my brain. And I, I think it's best to think of the movie as an impressionistic version of the book. Nicholas Rogue took what he wanted from it, uh, which is basically the, uh, the the background of it, the alien who comes to Earth looking for something mysterious. It's to colonize it uh, with his dead race in the in the, in the the book, as I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's never very clear in the movie exactly why he's there in the first place or what he wants. Uh, but it winds up in more or less the same place. Um, he kind of stripped of all of his power and impotently just kind of sitting there drinking in the middle of the 1970s as America just stagnates into nothingness. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> I mean, it's it's effective in that it delivers the tone that it clearly wants to deliver. It's a very 70s movie. Mm. A very 70s movie. Yes.
0: Yeah. As far as Nick Rogue move, movies go, I much prefer Performance and oh, yeah. Don't Look Now. Uh, I still are,
2: haven't seen Don't Look Now. I know I need to.
0: Put that on the I list because that's a... Uh, that's I hear. That's a hell of a yeah, thing. Yeah, that's that's as good as movies get, really. Okay,
1: so. hello wine. You are my friend. Woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> this, I know.
2: This wine is like fast tracking me. This is great. It's,
0: seriously, w- well chosen. It's pretty dry, though. We'll, I'm going to need a glass of water at some point. Yeah, so we, we could do. we, num- num- yeah, we num- can do num- that. Num- so next in line is
2: 1978, just a gigolo, which you just watched, right?
0: My wife and I just watched it the yeah. other day. I think it's out of print. Uh, we had to. Search far and wide to get a copy of it. So this this is interesting. It's um, from the late seventies. I forget exactly what year. It's directed by David Hemmings, yeah, who is in it.
2: Yeah, so David Hemmings from Blow Up,
0: from Blow Up, and yep. and Harlequin. And Murder by Decree. And Murder by and Decree.
2: Harlequin is a favorite. Have you seen Harlequin?
0: No. You oh, we enjoy. need to
2: show you Harlequin because you would enjoy love it. it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, please
0: continue. David Hemmings also debuted Benjamin Britten's opera Turn of the Screw.
1: Oh, he I did He was that.
0: the boy. He was the young boy in uh, Turn of the Screw.
1: Okay, See, so oh. now you're in my wheelhouse. I'm like, uh-huh. Benjamin Britten Benjamin Opera? Britten. I know all about that shit.
0: <laughs> he famously uh, refuted any suggestion that there might have been any impropriety between Benjamin Britten and the, and the boys. Because that was, you know, something that, well, it probably had some truth to it uh, over the course of Britain's career. But David Hemmings maintained that that was not the case, at least in...
1: At least in in, his case. In his case, Mm -hmm. it was not.
0: But that's a little far off track. Yes. (laughs) So Just a Gigolo is uh, from the late 70s. Uh, It's got David Hemmings in it, and it's Marlena Dietrich's last role.
2: Oh, oh, I didn't know that.
0: Uh, she's in two scenes, which were filmed separately from the rest of the movie, which was filmed in Berlin. I think her scenes were filmed in London or something. But in any case, she doesn't interact with really any of the rest of the cast, including David Bowie, uh, which is a shame. But mm-hmm. eh. uh, So he plays uh, a young German lieutenant in World War I who, after the war, comes back to Weimar-era Berlin and uh, kind of floats around in this lost generation kind of way. And David Hemmings plays this— uh, Nazi uh, mm-hmm. or a b- proto-Nazi, brown shirt type character who's kind of trying to get Bowie into his orbit and uh, Bowie kind of floats in and out of that orbit and eventually winds up being a male prostitute, a gigolo, um, and there's kind of a stunted goes nowhere love affair and the whole thing. I, I won't give away the ending, but it's, um, <laughs> it's on this weird border between absurdist farce okay. and kind of late 70s despair, sort of like everything is empty. So it's it's kind of a comedy. It's kind of, I don't know exactly what it is. It's certainly worth watching. And it plays a lot with his kind of image at the time, which was fascist. He had been criticized a lot in the mid-70s for uh, using fascist imagery. He gave uh, mm-hmm. Hitler salute at one point.
2: Yeah, didn't he give, like, a totally coked-out interview? that?
0: Yeah, yeah there's some <laughs> notorious interview, the details which escape me, uh, where he yeah. said something like, Hitler had some good ideas or whatever like that. And <laughs> yeah, all, something the whole, yeah. the whole thin white Duke persona was viewed by some as being kind of an Aryan, uh, kind of too Aryan. Mm-hmm. There. So... This movie seems to kind of play with that a little bit because it's right at the end of that period. It's the late '70s. It's at the same time that, uh, or around the same time that uh, "Ashes to Ashes" would come out on the Scary Monsters album, uh, where he talks about "fuck you, fascists" or whatever, deliberately kind of putting this whole image behind him. And here, that and it's present in the movie too. I don't know how much say he had over the script, but it's it's him floating in yeah. and out of the Nazi orbit. In this, and it's interesting on this metafictional level for that reason.
1: So as he constructed this persona, now at this point, he's he's either using the movie or the movie took advantage of. I think so. Interesting.
0: It, it's hard not to view it that way anyway over he, the course of his career. He
1: is a man who really knew how to use pop culture to his advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a collaboration even between the two of them. Of
0: hey, we... yeah, I don't know where the script came from. I don't know actually even where the f- song came from because the song, Just a Jiggle you might know where did just who wrote gigolo. it. In, in, everywhere, everywhere. Well, Marlena whoa. sings it in the movie.
2: Well, Louis Prima most famously
1: sings yeah, it. Yeah, I was about to say but Louis Prima is what you're talking about there. Louis Prima is, uh, I want to say, 50s. I was going to say
2: 40. But I don't 50s, know if he originated. But, I mean, well, before the it's, movie it's a standard, was. so yeah, a okay. lot of people have sang it. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a standard, and I love the Louis Prima version, and David Lee Roth can suck my left tit Because, <laughs> I
0: don't know, that would be kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got David Lee Roth right here. He did yeah. have a heart attack a few years ago. He did. That's why he stopped touring and re- actually recording albums for a while, too. Mm-hmm. But now he's, uh, he seems to be kind of coming back. Yep, Mm, he's allowed to do that. You do sixty years of cocaine and then have a heart attack. Yeah, 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 seems fair. Maybe
1: you want to take a break. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, my brain flashed to his duet with Bing Crosby, which is one of the most what the fuck things that has ever happened in music. I love that clip,
2: and Mm -hmm. we will link it in the show notes if you have somehow not run across on YouTube. It is it is a duet between Bing Crosby and. David Bowie on a Christmas variety show filmed in nineteen seventy-seven.
1: And Bing Crosby is clearly little drummer boy boy in counterpoint. And Bing Crosby is looking at him seriously, you can see it in his eyes of what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah.
0: I like and- their weird little forced banter at the beginning. Oh, God. yeah. What That's- music do you like? Oh, yeah. Harry Chapin and John Lennon. It's, oh, yeah. And then they kind of bond and then they sing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> awkward and
2: comfortable. Oh, my God. I love You know, just the big press for me. Oh, it's David Bowie <laughs> at
1: my door. <laughs> it, yeah, well, oh, I just dropped by. Uh, those, those Christmas specials that they would put on were some of the best shit that ever happened. Oh, God. The way they would have those weird, oh, I just dropped by the family home, I guess I'll sing a song.
2: Hey. The network writers' rooms in the late 70s must have just had, like, punch bowls full of cocaine for the writers because that's the only way Okay, we're bringing could
1: David Bowie in. David Bowie's going to sing with Bing Crosby. I need a second punch bowl of cocaine to yes. make this work. Yes.
0: <laughs> Co- coincidentally, you guys, I brought a punch bowl full of cocaine. Yeah.
1: Thank goodness! <laughs> Sorry we I can can't offer our, our
0: the... listeners any. Yeah.
2: There, there's some sort of horrible gift of the Magi story to I sold my bull, bull,
1: punch bowl of cocaine to get <laughs> <laughs> to get David Bowie, but David Bowie sniffed the punch bowl of cocaine, so now it's gone. But at least we have him singing "Yay Christmas."
0: Oh, the sentimental irony. <laughs>
2: All right. Okay. So moving along chronologically, (laughs) we we have a a, a trivia byline that he played the Elephant Man on Broadway in 1980, 1981 for 157 performances. Which may sound
1: like a lot, but when you consider that they perform five times a week. So that was really only mm, 30 weeks. So about half a year. About half a year, about six months. But, you know. I'm not, and I'm not decrying that. I'm just saying, make sure you understand mm-hmm. for about six months, which is about how long Patrick Neal Harris was headwake. And I'm still bitter about
0: it because I didn't get to see it. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that, Elephant Man? 1980 to 1981. I have an autobiographical bit of trivia. Ooh, that, ooh, because ooh, that was ooh. broadcast on television, one oh, of the performances was. really. Uh, and I remember watching part of it with my mom, but we were totally confused and eventually turned it off because it turned out not to be the movie mm-hmm. which we had heard of and we had seen pictures of John Hurt and the famous makeup, Yeah. but David Bowie on Broadway with like a bag over his head. <laughs> so we were like that's and then when it took it off it's like it didn't really look like what we thought, and we were confused and disappointed and we turned it off and that's my story <laughs> <laughs> i was probably about eight
1: oh. i totally oh. get that though i'm just sitting there oh. oh it's that thing no it's not it's not that thing what the fuck it's a different I'm turning thing. it off years later
0: uh, missed, that was David Bowie.
1: I missed something important. Patrick just finished off the first bottle. I'm sorry. <laughs> we we have. I'm an arsenal. so so sorry. But seriously, it is an arsenal because Pat also arrived with several copies of the same wine. <laughs> yep, cloned it. For which I love him. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So I say.
2: I'll work on that, and we can talk about the hunger now.
1: 1983. Yeah. Oh, I love Every- the soundtrack to this movie so much talk about it well it was one of the first soundtracks that i bought as an adult oh really yeah and so much so that I'm, i love the cello solo piece i actually choreographed a love duet um in one of my in my first fringe show that i produced on my own for two men to the piece by de which is i believe the flower duet um that the oh, two from the women,
2: opera, yeah, from yeah. The, that
1: the two women sing. I actually which, choreographed a male which, duet. Which uh,
2: show was this? Boogieography. That was a beautiful dance, by it, the way. Thank that you was very beautiful. Much. Lachshmai. Because
1: Lachshmai I re- I remember that. Yeah, yeah. That,
2: that that is the most. I I love the entire show, but that was the piece that really struck me. Yeah, that was.
1: beautiful. And that was because I just the music of the hunger Ooh. it. I am not somebody who notices soundtracks as much as other people. Other people will talk, like Melissa will talk about, oh, the soundtrack for this. It takes a lot for me to notice the soundtrack because for the most part, soundtracks for me do their job. They pull me into the movie. They are the background that helps me feel the emotion, but I don't Mm. notice them. But the soundtrack for The Hunger is so fantastic. The use of music to convey the mood that it actually... It becomes almost a tone poem for me. And then, of course, on the flip side of that is at the time I finally saw The Hunger, of course, I had already read The Vampire List, you know, the Vampire Interview with the Vampire and the Vampire List stat. And I was a huge fan of Concrete Blonde and they had their album Bloodletting. Mm-hmm. So vampirism in the, you know, in the late 80s, and the early 90s, it was huge. It was sexualized. It was everything. And then I finally see The Hunger. I'm not saying that I saw it when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I finally see The Hunger and it was so it was such a smart Take yes on what it would be like to live as a vampire, and it was interesting. And David Bowie was so cool. (laughs) That's most of what my reaction was. Just like it's so cool. I like. I don't. I don't know if you're acting, but you're certainly interesting to watch.
2: Another thing about The Hunger that strikes me is that there is a certain look to movies. Um, between like 1981 to 1987, that just screams Ooh. 1980s. And The Hunger is one of the finest examples of that.
1: Oh, yeah. And just the, the, the look. The makeup, of it. the hair, the clothes. There's just. And, and the, it's not the even the way, even that way it's, it's lit and the way it's filmed. I mean, and, and it's not like the teen things of the 80s where you can tell by the hair. There's just. More subtle than that, but you're like, "Wow, this just made in the 80s. Whoa. Well, and it,
2: it's well, it Tony off, Scott, right?
0: It's Tony Scott. It starts off in that nightclub, as yeah. I remember, with the Bauhaus song. Yeah. Bela Lugosi's dad going yeah. there. So it sets it in the decade immediately, mm-hmm. right from the go. Mm-hmm. It's also the first movie, or at least one of the first movies that really starts to trade on David Bowie as being david bowie right because he's in it for only i want to say the first quarter of the movie or so then they put him yeah. in a box and they stick him in an attic or something uh, but <laughs> well, it-
1: really he's a he's kind of the MacGuffin. he's the we have a problem in that you know eventually the lovers i take and turn into vampires get old and die quote guy how do we reverse this? Let's try. And there he's trying so desperately. And you can totally see that Catherine Denova is like, sure we'll try. By the way, <laughs> your doctor's hot. Hello, nurse. <laughs> um But I, I love that whole the whole playing out of that. And how, of course, you know, eventually in the movie Her lack of really just like, yeah, we can try to fix it, but we're not going to find a cure. And, oh, well, I guess we'll just live with it. You'll be in a box and I'll be happy. And how that eventually, you know, as the karma wheel turns is so delicious and delightful. Where was I going with this? You poured more wine.
0: Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon in bed together. Yes, seriously. (laughs) Seriously. That's where we're going, right? yeah. I, 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 That's inevitably. where the whole.
1: But he's only in the first quarter because he serves as merely right. the plot point to get Catherine Deneuve to meet Su- Susan Sarandon so she can start seducing
0: her. And he's effective in a small role because people who are watching the movie will know who he is, and he brings his David Bowie ish glamour to it mm-hmm. so he can be kind of airlifted into the movie for a little bit, bring it, and then the movie can go on without him. And that happens in later movies. Zoolander, yeah. he comes in for 30 seconds, is David this, Bowie. But yeah, I
1: think this is the first example yeah. of just, hello, I'm just David Bowie. You can call me somebody else, but really I'm just here to
0: be interesting. Yeah, because he's not acting in the same way as he is in, uh, is he acting in just a jiggle? Gigolo- I don't know. <laughs> you know. But I mean, he does act in Merry like, Christmas, I wa- Mr. Lawrence. Or mm-hmm. He
1: does act in Labyrinth.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He does.
1: The more I watch that movie, the older I get, the more I appreciate him. And how great his performance It anchors that whole movie. Mm-hmm. And the chemistry he has with Jennifer Connelly is actually
0: quite extraordinary. I just wish the songs were better.
1: I know. Yeah, he he was
0: kind of iffy. It's not the strongest of- period of his career. Yeah. Yeah, his post-Scary Monsters music is a real hit and miss. He had kind of an upswing there with Outside and Earthling. But mm-hmm. that period from... Let's dance through tonight, and the Never Let Me Down and the Labyrinth stuff. It's uh, it's not his strongest.
1: Do we do we touch on the the Blue Jean video here?
0: Please, yeah, we could talk about it.
1: Well, yeah. no, because we were talking. Well, we before can, we started recording, we- listeners, I hate to inform you that we talk before we start to record and you miss it and it's so sad for you we we talk (laughs)
2: outside of having a microphone in front of our face i pulled my string a little early (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: but pat pointed out of course the the commodification of the david bowie brand and how he is traded upon that and i pointed out that in the mid 80s when they were doing on mtv all those you know, super long music videos that were really short films, like Thriller was mm-hmm. a famous example. But they d- they had the Blue Jean one, which I became tired of very quickly. I hate to say it, but it's true. But in that mini movie, he plays both this nerd trying to get to a performance and the actual rock star. And in that case, the rock star was really just David Bowie, the mm-hmm. icon. It was very interesting. And he had that cool makeup. Do you remember the cool makeup?
0: Ooh, shit. It and was like
1: this, this shaded sort that. of, um, uh, it was because it was right at that time. Oh, who is the artist who did all of the Duran Duran? Oh, Nagel. Oh, Nagel, yeah. Yeah, it was very Nagel, mm-hmm. his makeup was. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, we could talk about his videos a little bit because that's yeah. an interesting part of his career. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. a, that, that is filmmaking, yes.
0: Yeah, uh, the, a lot of the early stuff, of course, in the pre-MTV era is just clips of concert stuff, uh, Ziggy Stardust, um, But Life on Mars was an early kind of proto-video. That's just him and his makeup in a white background Mm and singing. But later on, you get stuff like... Famously, the Ashes to Ashes video is the really big one. The one that's got multiple different parts. Do you remember this one? I don't, actually. Ashes to Ashes, fun, fun. You know the song. Is that
2: the one with
0: the... So it's multi- from here to eternity scene. Or- it's on a beach. I don't remember I, I yeah, I don't think he's lying like making out with somebody on a beach, but they yeah. are on a beach, and there's lots of paint box effects in okay. the sky and stuff. And he's in he's in the clown outfit or in the mime the mime oh, outfit. He's got the okay, conical that. hat and the mime thing. And occasionally he's floating in this kind of, chair with tubes that's reminiscent of the uh, man who fell to earth Uh um and it's it's a good example of early mtv stuff where it cuts from kind of unassociated scene to unassociated scene to unassociated scene but has some kind of narrative that seems to be stitching the whole thing through it
1: yeah it was very
0: famous and um it's also if you watch like doctor who episodes of the time <laughs> the same sort of optical effects are in place there, <laughs> early computer stuff so it's really weird if you watch it and like some of the colin baker doctor who that are on but now i'm getting way too off track so um, we talk about <laughs> david, david bowie a little bit more
2: yeah. uh, footnote for the listeners david bowie was once a mime I will post YouTube video to prove this. When you look at the way he
1: moves, this is actually not surprising.
2: Right. And, and actually, there's a part in uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars where he breaks into mime on stage. And I remember being in a room full of people watching this and we we're all going, what? He just went full mime. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he is in a box. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, it's funny that you said. I did not know that before you said it. Yeah. But what my brain immediately flashed to is, of course he is, because... Last summer, I worked with a mime in a dance show, Uh Philip Andrew Bennett Lowe. And there is a particular way they move. They are both good at dance and oddly constrained at dance. The the, the movements are so precise. Yeah, because on the one hand, they're very conscious of where their body is in space. But on the other hand, they are very, it becomes difficult to break out of that Mm -hmm. and to to find a, a form of movement that isn't so controlled. Yes, and so actually, yes, I can totally see this (laughs) in the way that David Bowie moves. Uh, I might be a little tipsy,
2: anyway. After The Hunger, we have Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Yes. Which
0: is a bizarre movie. It's a terrific movie. Joe Queenan doesn't seem to like it very much. Yeah. Have
2: you seen it, Wendy? I
1: have not.
2: Yeah.
0: Track um, this one down. This okay. Is,
2: in, a, in a couple weeks, which means a few weeks ago for you listeners, we're doing a um, real education episode about Merry Christmas, Mr. Oh, Lawrence. Oh, are you? Yeah, really? Yeah, we, we are showing it at the trial line in December. That's right, because they're doing wow. the Bowie stuff.
0: That
1: yeah. is deep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So.
2: Unfortunately, I'm recording this episode at the wrong time because at, at this point in my life, I have not seen Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence for a couple of years. So I'm going to be shaky on the details of it. But, yeah, it's a bizarre film. And I remember first seeing it. The, the thing that's in my head about it is, like, wow, they really tried to take, like, Lawrence of Arabia and Bridge on the River Kwai and mash them together and put, like, an 80s Japanese soundtrack over it. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't get Peter O'Toole, so here we have David Bowie. And that was, like, my overall sensory uh, experience of it. But David Bowie is really good.
1: He's I'm really gonna take at... a picture of the face I'm making at that. Yeah, we that's just, a, that's a yeah. that's a thing. That's a thing. You uh, Jack Hawkins,
0: talking. if I remember right. Yeah, uh, and and Takeshi Kitano beat Takeshi.
2: Beat Takeshi uh, is in it. Yes,
0: A relatively early role for him. Um, but yeah, it's like bridge. On, it's basically bridge on the River Kwai it takes place in Burma or uh, somewhere in the territory that the ja- that the Japanese controlled in World War Two, and mm-hmm. it's. Uh, got a strange, it's Ryuichi Samaguchi or Segamuchi who did the soundtrack. It's a little hard yeah. to describe. It's very pizzicato. Um,
2: yeah. It, and it's very, very, uh, very early 80s synthesizer. Um, if, if you've seen the Spielberg movie Empire of the Sun, it's the same mm.
0: composer. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, that'd be a good double feature?
2: Yeah, very good actually.
0: Well, it's a terrific movie. It's uh, another one that's very languidly paced. Uh, mm-hmm. It fits David Bowie's personality and his uh, languid body <laughs> body language. Um,
2: it, it it's kind of a showcase of acting talent, really. It, it's it's a it's a bunch of men in a POW camp. You know, the the movie is rather interesting and it focuses on a lot of characters on both the Japanese side and on the. English side and the Japanese if I remember right, the Japanese aren't really demonized, but it it's all about the interactions of everybody at the camp.
0: Yeah. It's it's certainly it, it has its level of brutality. Yeah. But it's stylized and yeah, God, it's hard to describe. It's not a psychological movie because it's all—it's on the surface. There's not a lot of psychological depth that's happening. So it's mostly right. the the interaction between the different characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little like I remember David Mamet describing some of his stuff as <laughs> I write about what happens to men in small rooms. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh my god, that's perfect. This, this oh my cooker. god, yeah.
0: yeah. It's certainly not a small room. It's this open air uh, POW camp in Burma or wherever. It yeah, is, but, but you it, never
2: leave the POW camp.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's very, well, you do have some oh. flashbacks to David Bowie's uh, youth. Oh, that's uh, because right. because there's some you know, some problems related to his family and his younger brother as I remember and some guilt that he carries along from that. Sorry listeners, spoiling it all. But yeah, it's it's really that that kind of pressure cooker mm-hmm. situation.
2: I'm looking forward to doing the film for real education. And dear listeners, I will link yep, that episode from here. So we, you will have like a full episode of talking about Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence from a different team of people. <laughs> so after that was
1: <laughs> into the night, <laughs> I've never seen it. You've never seen it. What is it? That's it. Into the night is the Jeff Goldblum, um, Michelle Pfeiffer movie, right? I believe so. And he, he's got, a, it's not a big part, but he's got a a bit part, as I like, like, again, the crime Lord, like he always sort yeah. of shows up as like, hi, I am David Bowie, which makes me eminently odd. So I will show up as some sort of vaguely criminal element that makes you uncomfortable.
2: I think this is the one that puzzles me because it's an 80s Dan Aykroyd movie that I've never seen. Wait, did he direct it?
1: Really? Dan yeah, Aykroyd? Dan Aykroyd's in it. Okay, wait, we got to consult the IMD. Yeah, he, he played her. There he is. He's in it? Yeah. I do not remember that at all. And David Cronenberg, what the fuck? This was David like on a heavy. Krunenberg. David Cronenberg, he's like the, in the actor the section. The reason I know this movie is it was on heavy rotation on HBO at the time in my youth when we had HBO and nothing better to do. <laughs> And so it yeah. was constantly this on. This and the
0: Beastmaster. Yes. Beastmaster. And yeah, okay.
1: yes. And like Smokey and the Bandit, I saw <laughs> like a billion times. Mm-hmm. That was the movie channel though. That was earlier in the late seventies. So into the night is Jeff Goldblum is an insomniac, and as he's wandering around late at night because he can't sleep, he runs into Mel- Michelle Pfeiffer, very gorgeous because this do. was early early eighties. Like he does not realize how lucky he is to run into Michelle Pfeiffer because I've never met anybody with a questionable past who looks that good. And she she's like involved in some sort of shit. I, the plot is really convoluted and I can't remember it. And so Into the Night is basically him being dragged into her world and like the series of events. And it's all very sort of mouse trappy. like this leads to this leads to this. But it's not a comedy. It's more kind of vaguely noir feel if I remember right. I haven't seen it in like. 20 fucking years more. But um, I had forgotten that, yes, David Bowie shows up in a small role that you're like, David Bowie? (laughs) What the hell? What the hell? And that's all I have to say about that. We really don't need to talk about it anymore because, again, this is just David Bowie trading on... I'm David Bowie. Oh, yeah. No, I need to
0: ask you some questions about Into the Night. <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he in the Mafia? Is he a Yakuza member? I,
1: I, well, he's not Yakuza. Are you kidding me? He's not Japanese. I want to see David Bowie in the Yakuza. <laughs> I,
0: wow. Is he from outer space?
1: No. It's much more realistic than that. I am flipping off Pat as we speak, (laughs) listeners. I'm a
2: witness. I'm shocked.
1: Yes, there have been. Because he's being dickish. That's just dickery right there. Yes. Hickory dickery Pat. (laughs) All right, so moving on.
2: So we've got Absolute Beginners next. Have any of us seen Absolute Beginners? I've
0: beginner? seen it. Really? I'm so is sorry. it as
1: terrible as Queen and says?
0: No, it's not great. Uh, it's a musical, and again, it's been 10 or 15 well, years. Well, it's a musical which
1: it. I have a fondness. Well,
0: go ahead and watch it. Yeah. Yeah, but is it. It's about race relations in London in the 1950s. It's extremely stylized. The it one. has Patsy Kensett. Okay. In it.
1: Okay, listeners, the same face I made for Mr. Lawrence I have just made about this. What the is hell? Is that for
0: Patsy Kensett?
1: No, just Race yeah, Relations wh- in London in the 50s. It's a musical.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, huh. that's exactly what it is. It's got Ray Davies from The Kinks as oh, our, no the shit. main character's dad. I don't remember who plays the main guy. It, there's huh. a lot of very huh. self-consciously arty stuff. or I won't say arty, but theatrical stuff about it. Like the, the apartment building in which Ray Davies and our main character lives, uh, it's multi-floored or whatever and the camera travels over a cutout of the building if i if i can describe it correctly it'll go mm-hmm. from it'll like pull back and you'll see a cut like somebody had chopped down the building and you can uh-huh. just see all the rooms and see people going out oh so the like the,
2: the wall has been removed and you just, exactly it's like a dollhouse like
0: a dollhouse thank yeah. you yeah and then the oh, that's the, cool it is cool
2: what queen
1: and hated it
0: yeah well he said it has no plot which is probably fair <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of a... But you don't need plot when you've got music. You've got music, and the center of it, at, at right about the middle of the movie, there's a scene where they go see David Bowen. I don't remember who he plays. It might be a music producer or something like that, but he's supposed to be like, I'm a bigwig. Uh, and he puts on this accent, which at first I thought was an American accent. It sounds weird, but it turns out it's one of what they used to call... Have you guys heard this term, mid-Atlantic yes. accents? Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay, so it's that. I was like, what the fuck is he doing? Is he trying to be an American? It's, and it, no,
1: it's what Americans also try to put on when they want to sound upper class but not British.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. and so I thought he was just being artificial, but in fact he was just being accurate to who the character is would be so anyway he um he's wooing is it patsy kensett is it the main character i don't remember but it's on a big kind of busby berkeley staircase Ooh. thing he's not really dancing so much as he is kind of prancing around being david bowie or whatever and it's by far the best part of the movie awesome uh, okay put it on the list it's worth seeing just for that but it, when you watch it you'll see what i mean it's kind of just floaty and all over the place
2: we have last temptation of christ never seen it (laughs) never seen it this is all on you melissa i have i will only uh stop by this one very briefly because um david bowie only shows up very briefly because i had no idea he was even in this he plays pontius Pilate in last temptation of christ
1: now wait does he speak english because fucking mel gibson has ruined jesus movies for me that no, this this is the Scorsese one. This is the one where
2: Daniel Defoe or uh, Daniel Defoe. Hey, Daniel Defoe, he <laughs> must be really old. Give me some more of that wine. Uh, no, Willem Defoe is. Playing I know Christ.
1: that, but you know
0: he's also in The Hunger.
1: I, <laughs> he's Willem the Dafoe, person yes.
0: waiting for the phone behind Susan Sarandon. Oh, God.
1: oh my God! Yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but, so... In all, so, <laughs> in all seriousness, to be lighthearted, whenever anybody starts talking about Christ movies, because mm-hmm. the most recent one I have seen is The Passion of the Christ, everything gets sort of lensed through that. So when you talk about The Last Temptation of Christ, all I can think of is, oh, they were speaking Aramaic, right? No, and they were all no. bearded, See, and I didn't know who anybody
2: was. Here's the funny thing. So, so Last Temptation of Christ, directed by Martin Scorsese. First of all, it, it takes a very interesting angle on the whole Christ Thing um, there, uh, there's. Uh, I'm not a biblical scholar, so I'm a very bad person to describe the the <laughs> tactics that are okay. Taken. Side note: so, so when we
1: saw the Passion of the Christ, <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> At Phenomathon. Melissa was raised very. Non religiously. So, as they're going through the Christ mythos, and I have to say, The Passion of the Christ is not a movie that's going to help you out because (laughs) it's a bunch of bearded Jews and they all look alike. You can't tell them apart. And you're like, I have no idea what's going on and who this guy is. And Melissa is just keeps leaning over to Chris Jones and being like, what's happening?
2: It's like, oh, what's going on? I, I'm so confused. I don't and, have any reference for this. <laughs> at least Last Temptation of Christ I could follow. Uh, <laughs> but it's directed by Martin Scorsese. And and the the... the the everlasting impression it has left on me is that it was a baffling collection of accents. <laughs> <laughs> because you have Holden DeFoe playing Christ in his usual weird American accent, and you've got Harvey Keitel, I forget which role he was in, but, he but was he's one But he's New of the... York, because he can't do any no, accent he, New York. Because he is pure New Yorker, and, like, all the apostles are talking New York. <laughs> like, they all have... At least it's kind of a Jewish accent, I, I guess. Know, right?! <laughs> and and then well, it's true. And 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 I can only presume that David Bowie was chosen to do Pontius Pilate because he just kind of brings that air of Britain in. It's like, oh, you're royalty. That's clear. Okay, so
1: the Jews are the Lower East Side, New York, and the Romans are the posh Brits. Up on uh, Long Island.
2: It, it's kinda like this weird sharks
1: versus jets thing. Going <laughs>
2: <on>. <laughs> and that is what I think about Last Temptation of Christ.
1: Long Island. Long Island. <laughs> when I had to learn my Jewish accent in my accents class in theater in my theater program. With theater. My theater, theater program. And they talked about the palatal L. A million <laughs> a million dollars. A million dollars. And that's and that is what I would fasten on is saying a million dollars in quarter. And that's what I would fasten on to get into my New York accent. No lot, no lie. Okay, that's your that's your pal. It's fucked up, man. Pal. Power oil. Or it could just be mean junk. All right.
0: Well, you could play an apostle.
1: <laughs> I could be an apostle. Totally be an apostle. Hello, Jesus. Jesus. So you're walking on
0: the water again.
1: You're walking on the water. What the fuck? Just take a cab. <laughs> Seriously. Are you kidding me? Oi. So from here we have.
0: <laughs> We're gonna let this go? We're gonna let this go. This, this very yeah, fruitful I, I think line I, of conversation.
2: I think we have our punchline.
1: We're gonna move on. Okay. <laughs>
2: So, the Linguini incident.
1: I have no idea what the fuck this is except this is it does awesome. make me want to eat pasta. It's a pretty
2: good movie. Linguini incident is is a does, thing. Does he have a substantial role?
0: Yeah, he's yeah, the he, male lead.
2: Yeah. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is a thing to watch. What you know, year really was this? Amazing. What year? This was
1: 1991. Okay, I have. How have I never heard of this?
2: It's candy-colored, and it's
0: pretty fabulous, and uh, why don't you take it, Pat? Well, here's the thing. I've seen The Linguini Incident two or three times, mm-hmm. and I remember nothing about it. Yeah, I, see, I've seen I it once, and it it. it's the same thing. Yeah. and it's just, like, gone. It just It's a romantic comedy. He's a kind of a con man character who um, some listener will be screaming at me when I get the details wrong, but I think he's trying to marry Rosanna Arquette for a green card. Mm-hmm. Or Something like it, <laughs> and there's an incident with Linguini, <laughs> and,
2: and they're they they both work at a restaurant. W- yeah, hence and, the Linguini, and they and they they're conspiring to rob the restaurant, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. And I think he's a magician as
0: well. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're just making shit up now. But that's, <laughs>
2: yeah. I think uh, I am. There's just
0: a big kidding. romantic thing, yeah. And there's, you know, they're together and then they're apart, but then they're together. You know that movie? Yeah. Then and they reconcile. But there's also a heist. And there's a heist. So and there's a-, a
1: big aquarium. <gasps> I remember an aquarium. Ooh. Romantic movie, heist, David Bowie, yeah. Linguini. Linguini. Brightly colored pasta. Okay, what's next? Twin Peaks. Fire Walk With Me.
0: It's Agent Philip Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Anybody seen This But Me?
2: I have not Anybody seen... Anybody know Twin Peaks? I am so We'll not... just touch lightly on it. I know. Then. that it's, it's it, 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 Twin Peaks is the only David Lynch thing I've never embarked upon. It's by
0: far my favorite David Lynch thing.
1: Everybody really? loves it. And it's Absolutely. one of those things that I know that if I were to commit to it, I would probably really enjoy it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just... I've never been able to muster the commitment because I feel like that's a commitment with a capital C
0: well yeah. here's the thing watch the pilot it's 90 minutes uh it's a self-contained story obviously it leads into the series right but it might be the best thing that David Lynch has directed okay it's, it's nice it's well this is going to be controversial or whatever yeah. but you know wild <laughs> Fuck at heart. Them anyway wild at heart I never cared for blue velvet is well anyway but I love the pilot I love much of Twin Peaks, and I love Fire Walk With Me, which is the best cinematic experience of a nightmare, like a terrifying fucking nightmare that I've ever seen on film. It follows nightmare logic, and it just will not let up, and it's completely not what you would expect from it. But anyway, so David Bowie plays an FBI agent who has disappeared and shows up and disappears again in like the first 10 minutes of the movie with no context and no explanation and he shows up and he's just got to babble he's got these things, he says all these Ab- above a convenience store and Bosia and then uh, there's a flash of static electricity and he's gone, like he's never been there and that's David Bowie in Fire Walk with Bowie
2: <laughs> so next we have Basquiat Yay. Basquiat Basquiat Basquiat. Basquiat. Andy Warhol. Yeah, he plays Andy
1: Warhol for approximately three seconds in Basquiat. Have you seen it? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And I'll share with the listeners what I said before we started recording, which was right at the time this movie came out, my husband had been on a kick where every time he got to pick a movie, he picked a tortured artist movie. Which many of them were enjoyable. Many of them were interesting. But it got to this point where right when Basquiat came out and my husband was like, ooh, and I said, no, I'm so done with this right now. And I've never come back to it.
2: Yeah, the thing thing about that movie was at the time when I watched it, it, it felt like it had its head very firmly up its ass. I mean, it it was very navel gazing in in a way that it didn't need to be. And that's about what I remember of that movie. Have you seen it? I saw it. it, It's
0: Julian Schnabel. It's in. What did you
1: say about Julian Schnabel? Because the two of you had a moment. Well, he's
0: a visual artist, too. I don't know a lot about the fella um he's moved into making movies. He made something else. Remind me what it is. You know, if you're looking these things up.
2: Oh, I'm I'm did, looking ahead. Um he he did um did you do the diving bell and the butterfly or something like
0: that? The, or the Sea Inside?
1: Everybody or, starts consulting or, No, their it, wasn't it wasn't the By Sea way, Inside. was By the way, Pat, you just said fella and it totally pulled me out of the moment. I'm like Pat just said fella. That seemed oddly colloquial I see for him. fella
0: all the time. <laughs> fellow.
1: Fell I fellow. picture you saying fellow. Fellow. Fellow.
0: I'm from South Minneapolis. I don't say fellow.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, you're one of the more erudite people I know who uses words in conversation that most people have to look up in a dictionary. I was totally right.
2: Diving bell in the butterfly.
1: You, you should totally never right. question Melissa. FYI, this I... is what why. Oh
2: I've no, learned. no, I, 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 have been wrong on occasion. I've never been there when it happened. I just edited out.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I've been too drunk to notice. Like yes. the,
0: the most power. Here.
1: <laughs> By the way, the part where I was wrong. Boop. Yep. Beep. Oh, yeah, here. This is
0: out. okay. Wikipedia, my friend. Uh. He's a vis- visual artist, right, Julian Schnabel? Yeah, he's a reputation A reputation for making brash pronouncements about his importance to the art world. Quote, I'm the closest thing to Picasso that you'll see in this fucking life. <laughs> engendered contempt.
1: I, uh, funnily enough, it engendered contempt. Hi, when I announced that I'm better than anything and you should love me just because I showed up, people got contemptuous
0: yeah so yeah is played by Jeffrey Wright who's uh, a good actor holy
1: he's... shit that yeah, is Jeffrey is. Wright it's the first
0: thing that I'd seen him in um...
1: God yeah, there, there's a nothing baby w- in that
2: yeah there's nothing wrong with his performance he's actually quite good mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Jeffrey Wright
0: it's another example of Bowie being there because he's David Bowie, but it's kind of a fame singularity, right? Because he's well, yeah. one of the most famous people in the Western world playing another one of the most famous people in the Western world, yeah. who, of course, he knew personally, who he wrote a song about on Hunky Dory. Uh, and... So it's, well, and it's people stunt famous casting. Famous
1: for just being who they yeah, are. Yeah. What's
0: above stunt casting? Like, what's yeah. the level above stunt casting? Because that's what that is. Yeah. That's. <laughs> and he's fine. He's fine as Andy Warhol.
1: Well, yeah. Well, yeah. he's
2: kind of perfect as Andy Warhol. You know, you'd need somebody to come over and take over the room, the screen, the world. Who, who so David Bowie. perfectly
1: knows how to incorporate? I'm an icon. Well, yeah. I, I, I I'm not a person. I am a representation.
2: Well, yeah, and and better and to do
1: that than Bowie.
2: And and you see this much, you see this a lot in the films after this because, um, um, you know, you have Zoolander in two thousand one, you have The Prestige in two thousand six. Zoolander, he has a cameo that's mm-hmm. very similar, where he walks in, and he's David Bowie, judging a uh, a a walk off.
0: <laughs> you should listen to your friend Billy Zane. Yes. <laughs>
1: Zoolander is a movie that is better than it has any right to be. Zoolander is
2: hilarious.
1: Much, much like Dodgeball. Yeah. Seriously, like I avoided Zoolander for years and when I finally was forced to watch it, I'm like why did I doubt? Well, one of
2: the other movies that builds on the fame of David Bowie as a cameo performance is The Prestige. Mm -hmm. Because you needed something to walk into this amazing cast and play Nikola Tesla and Nikola fucking Tesla.
1: Yes. But I would argue that this is not David Bowie being David Bowie for the sake of being David Bowie. He's actually performing in this. Well, role. he is, uh-huh. but this is him being like in Basquiat, the Andy Warhol role, the yeah. stunt casting, the, 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 st- the meta casting. Yeah, you you need the the magic man to take over. I Nikola am not Tesla. just playing Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla is such an icon in pop culture that we need somebody to play him who is above and beyond an actor.
0: Yeah, well, a famous oddball. Yeah. Right. Although it is kind of a strange choice to play him, because for decades, Bowie has been viewed as this kind of reserve, plastic, extraterrestrial, which is not what you think of when you think of Tesla, this ebullient, (laughs) uh, where's he from? Is he from Hungary? He's from Poland? Yeah, but that's not how we place him in The Prestige. uh, No, Mm -mm. well, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but yeah, you think of of Tesla as being this... uh, crazed mad scientist character pulling out his True. Hair whatever, which is not what I think did you David know there's an,
1: there is a statue slash monument to Tesla at Niagara Falls
0: I didn't know that
1: crazy it's, I love the prestige tiny. but he is not ebullient in that movie he no. is very much sort of hello but I'm strange you... I made you this thing you shouldn't use it Dun, dun,
2: dun. Well, I think that the the prestige banks on his otherness in it because you need Nicholas in that movie, in that plot, you need Mm -hmm. Nikola Tesla to be the magic man. Yes. You need him to create a
1: magic device. Yes.
0: Yes. That's totally tesla's role in pop culture these days oh i know to be the magic scientist yeah. there's i there's even a call of cthulhu scenario that <laughs> I, that was published in the 1980s that i ran for my gaming group that Sweet. you go and you meet nikola tesla and he builds a strange electrical device that'll help you take out the big bad of course that's got to be nice. 1983
1: 1984 i want a cthulhu tesla crossover film so bad right now
0: funders <laughs> I'd, I'd fund that. You can email us.
1: I would totally, I would fund that. I would, yes, take my money. All right, what do we have left? We need to wrap this up because I'm already drunk and we haven't even started the second episode.
0: Well, Shh, don't sh- break the, don't, don't,
1: don't, break, s-
2: the don't yes. break the magic. Don't break the magic.
1: I just want to take a moment since we kind of skipped ahead
2: over the year 2000 because he was in a movie called Mr. Race's Secret, which I know none of us have seen. Nope. But I desperately want to read this description That's of this film. <laughs> So, David Bowie is apparently the star of this movie, starring as Mr. William Rice, you know, given that the movie is called Mr. Rice's Secret, I presume it's about him. A terminally ill boy's life is saved when his deceased 400-year-old friend, Mr. Rice, leads him on a treasure hunt to find a magical potion of life.
1: Potion of life had air
2: quotes. Air quotes.
1: Wow. Wow. We talked about Zoolander, yeah, The Prestige, we, we, and so now we have to talk about all the ancillary David Bowie. Yeah, so
2: Venture Brothers, really quick, you know, David Bowie as a character.
0: Oh, he's the head of the Evil League of Evil. Evil League of Evil.
1: is am <laughs> is i League of Evil, or is, is it the Eagle League of Evil? you got me the, doing it now. I thought no. the Evil League of Evil was in Dr. Horrible. Yes,
0: yeah. I think you're right. No, no I think that was the League of Calamitous Intent. Calamitous Intent. Yes, the League of Calamitous the, Intent. The,
2: the bad guys. The bad guys. So yes, the bad David...
1: guys and Venture Brothers, and of course David Bowie as David Bowie because David no, no, Bowie. No, 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 he
2: doesn't play. He the doesn't character.
0: actually play David Bowie. No, oh, he doesn't. Another of... fella plays David Bowie.
2: Somebody else plays David Bowie. But,
1: but yes. that's my point: is that David Bowie is
0: Guild now of S- Calamitous.
1: the such an icon in pop culture. That he becomes shorthand for a certain vibe. Exactly my point. Precisely. Yes.
0: Because he can be the villain and everybody knows who David Bowie is. And it's a surprise when he's the head of the Guild of Calamitous Intent.
2: Guild of Calamitous Intent. Yes.
0: But uh, yes, sadly is not actually played by David Bowie.
1: (sighs) That is sad. But he does does have a panda. He does have a panda?
0: He does. He (laughs) won it in a card game or something. (laughs)
1: However, David Bowie does actually voice a character in SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, the king or something like
0: that. Yeah, I never saw the movie. In the and movie, yeah, yeah. I've seen some of the TV shows. I I'm, haven't. I'm, You've I'm, got a kid. You should watch the movie and report back.
1: I, uh, well, she's too busy watch- watching dragon movies and princess movies. And the dragon movies counteract the princess movies, and the princess movies, I make sure, aren't too terrible in their messaging. So I'm mostly okay with what she watches. Actually, SpongeBob
2: SquarePants movie. Fest made me watch. It is very funny.
1: I, also, I think the be- show's hilarious. The, the best use of David Hasselhoff ever, perhaps. Really? That's a bold claim because I've seen dodgeball. Because <laughs> when David Hasselhoff chews people out in German, that's fucking hilarious, man. Take my words literally. Okay. <laughs>
2: All right, then. So I feel like this episode would not be complete without a discussion of Velvet Goldmine. Velvet Goldmine. Wait,
1: did we want to at least touch on... By the way, David Bowie has spawned talented people as well. With his first wife, Angie,
2: he
0: gave birth to the Z- man
2: who became Duncan Jones. Zowie the Bowie.
0: What? His name, Zowie. It is Zowie? Is, that's Zowie Bowie. Zowie Bowie. But he also was named Duncan yeah. Jones in case he didn't want to go by Zowie, which he... <laughs> Turns out, didn't. Yes, funny that.
1: Funny. Very funny that. Not really funny at all. We're being sarcastic. But yes. So, Duncan uh, Jones, if you're missing the connection and you don't want to pull out IMDb, we'll give it to you. Made Moon
2: and Source Code.
1: Super, super great, smart sci-fi genre films. Yeah, Moon is one of the smartest... sci-fi
2: films of the last decade or so
1: i would yes i would agree with that
2: source code is also very good but moon is amazing source
1: code is great in that it's a quote time travel movie that actually has as its central um science macguffin something that actually kind of makes sense yeah so it actually holds together surprisingly well plus it's got jake gyllenhaal yes and he's he's kind of always great and of course Moon is is Sam Rockwell, Sam Rockwell. right yes yeah, yeah. it's Sam oh, Rockwell so good and Sam Rockwell and, and Sam, Sam Rockwell. Rockwell yeah yeah, yeah.
0: It doesn't is it Kevin Spacey who plays the computer
1: it's somebody famous somebody famous It's like somebody that, famous but I can't remember who I don't think it's Kevin it might be Kevin Spacey
2: I don't remember but it's a very simple film and it's just it's simple in terrific
1: movie. execution yeah. but completely wonderful in execution yeah. it's just Oh, the concept is so great. I don't know what I just said there because I'm super, super tipsy.
0: You said it was great.
1: It was great. And it was I great. Agree with you, the, the, <laughs> yeah. Simple and yet brilliant concept execution. You take your pick. So now let's talk about
0: Velvet Goldmine,
1: which is my favorite David Bowie film.
0: Of course it is because, because it's, it's all about David Bowie,
1: even though he never is in it. <laughs>
0: It's John. Or mentioned
1: John Riss Meyer. John Rhys Meyers. John Riss Myers John Riss Meyer. And of course, Ewan McGregor.
0: <laughs> Directed by the great Todd Haynes. Uh-huh. Oh,
1: and it's gorgeous. If you don't know anything about it, what you might remember is Whoopi Goldberg dressing up in the costumes at the Oscars that year because it was nominated. Oh, mm-hmm. I forgot that. That was the year that Whoopi Goldberg, as the Oscars host, dressed up in costumes from each of the Oscar-nominated Either best costume films or best picture films, I don't remember. But she walked out in John Riss Myers costume. Was it that, that, that purple the purple Peacock with the, thing? With the collar oh, yeah. and the and the platform heels and she's like, I am the African queen, baby. <laughs> and it was great. Yeah. Oh, the costumes and that are... The, the visual style is magnificent. Oh, and Christian Bale. Yes, and mm-hmm. Christian Bale. But we should...
2: For people who have not seen the movie, we should describe what it actually is. Christian Bale and Ewan McGregor have sex. Well, that too,
0: but... Jonathan Riesmeyer and Ewan McGregor have sex. Yeah,
2: so you should want to watch this movie. <laughs> well, it... Okay, so it's a fictionalized account of the relationship between Iggy Pop and... And, and David, Bowie. David Bowie during the seventies, into
0: the eighties. It's a real mashup. The more yeah. you know about David Bowie's actual life, the more you can see just how gleeful, what gleeful fun they had cutting mm-hmm. it into pieces and rearranging it into it's a, the birth into of, a gay fantasy. It's
1: the birth of glam rock at the same time as the birth of punk rock,
0: right. It, yeah yeah cuz well, i mean it, it really is the iggy, is those the iggy two, character yeah. the iggy
1: pop character mm-hmm. it's very much those two sensibilities both uh, kind of just bouncing off each other
0: it's where do i even begin this is one of my favorite movies right? oh, it, it's so, a brilliant film it's so i so love good. i love this movie it's um it it's like uh, William Burroughs took a scissors to David Bowie's autobiography and then clipped it together in different parts and superimposed different people upon each other. So mm-hmm. like there's a character in the movie who is mostly Mark Bolin, but he is also Brian Ferry and he's also the guy from the New York Dolls. And, mm-hmm. so, and so he, in, in usual cinematic shorthand, he's collapsed into into one character, but also he is. Oscar Wilde and he has this um, (laughs) this kind of like gay artistic magic about him that gets transferred for a moment into the David Bowie character and then later into the Iggy Pop character who becomes whose name is Kurt Vile, Mm -hmm. V-I-L-E. And then, but then later is dressed like Kurt Cobain at the end of the movie. So this kind of strange subcultural passing of the torch. Okay, I'm, I'm getting too deep in the weeds now. But this, I mean, I love th- this <laughs> movie is terrific uh, because it's just an elaborated fantasy on David Bowie's like life. Take his life and then like embroider it and make it actually a gay fantasy in the way that Bowie's life was not, even though he uh, he portrayed himself as a gay man in the early part of his career. That was mostly for show. I mean, he fucked his share of men, but he was still largely heterosexual. But that still meant that a generation of gay men grew up with him as a gay icon. And this is this kind of giving back to that.
1: Well, and I love the kind of underlying theme of the movie is that, as you pointed out, that passing of the the artistic flame Mm -hmm. from one generation to the next and how it passes. It's so... Mm, it ties it all together so
0: great. What well, starts with aliens given the gay to Oscar Wilde?
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> the, I mean that truly is it. There's yes. this there's this magical artifact that gets passed down, and it becomes sort of the muse, the spark, the catalyst for artistic creativity. The gay, it, it's mm-hmm. the gay, and it gets passed on. Oh, look here! You may have the gay. Now, you may have the gay as well.
0: It has terrific music, none of which is by David Bowie, although the title yeah. is a David Bowie song title. Yeah. yeah, A strangely heterosexual song mm-hmm. for such a gay movie, The Velvet yes. Goldmine. Yeah. Yes. I, okay. I didn't need to explain that one. Right?
1: Vagina. Okay. <laughs> Vagina. Vagina. I'm going to make the there subtext. There is none
0: in the movie.
1: I'm going to make the subtext supertext. Thank you. That's what I'm here for.
0: That's a super text. <laughs> okay. So the move, but the music is great. It's period stuff. There's Brian Eno. There's uh, Roxy Music, but then there's also covers of usually Roxy Music songs by uh, contemporary bands, and then new music in the style of 70s glam rock, mostly by Shutter to Think, which mm-hmm. is terrific stuff. Yeah,
1: uh, I, it's oh, it's a great soundtrack. Very good. It's it's an immersive experience. The plot is surrealistic. <laughs> but unlike other movies, there's enough of it that it holds together and when you get to the end you don't feel cheated. Yeah. But when I say immersive, it's this kaleidoscope of concepts and sensory inputs, music and visuals and ideas and and it's so it it just kind of swirls around and then you get to the end and it goes bong and sort of this chord of Ah, happens, and you're like, that was
0: a great movie. The it, It's on my short list of great films that use music, and there's a scene in there right toward the beginning uh, where uh, after the folk festival where uh, Jonathan Rees-Meyers has kind of failed, uh, he comes a-sulking in his tent like Achilles, and he comes out, and there's Ewan McGregor as Iggy Pop on stage doing TVI, and starts with this scream- and the entire movie stops, and everybody just and it's it, I I can't describe it. Oh, I'm just I'm just sitting here going, I, I just, oh my god! Like how how could that possibly be better? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, then you and Ewan McGregor is so He's fantastic. Amazing.
0: It's one of the many movies in which you see his penis.
1: Oh yes, many movies. Many I will movies. I will agree with you there. There's a lot of Ewan McGregor penis in the world. <laughs>
0: documented for all time in this movie and
1: others. you know what i really appreciate an actor who's like fuck it i don't care This where, is... where are my pants i don't
2: i don't need pants <laughs> to oh, act away it goes i'm obi-wan kenobi fuckers
1: <laughs> i had to play obi-wan kenobi with you, no pants with no pants here's my force yeah <laughs> would you like to see my lightsaber <laughs> Uh, we should wrap this up because we, we still have another we episode should. to go. So we need to ask Pat the question. Oh, we do. Okay, we do. Just talk about okay. Okay. Of a
0: gold mine for another hour. What? I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Are I we understand. just watching
1: of the gold mine now? I know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um. So Pat, we're gonna ask you the questions. There's They're me. super questions. They're, they're super. easy questions. Easy. Super easy questions. Yeah. Ooh, he's refueling for AM. his questions. Yes. I do not need to. Re- do not let me refuel for a while yet yes. i i need a glass of water i do too hey pat okay. who are you
0: i'm pat pat harrigan and i'm sitting here on this couch oh i, oh, I know what you're asking you're asking what i what i do
1: no oh, that's, that's the, the second, second question. question oh okay also pat harrigan might be the most irish name i know personally
0: it's possible uh, there are surprisingly few harrigans in the world Hmm. There are some. It's a corruption of something like Horgan or O'Horgan. We're from County Tipperary. They just put these Irish records online for free, I've noticed. I saw an article mm-hmm. about it today, so I could probably do a little more tracking down than I have in the past.
1: Did your, did your parents fully embrace the Irishness when they named you Patrick?
0: Yes, they totally yeah. did. It's exactly after St. Patrick. There is no other Patrick in the family, although I have an aunt, Patricia, but no, no. So there's no other Patrick's in the family except, uh, except you me. do know. This is that, my mom's um, side.
1: James Cagney sang a song about the Harrigan yep. name in Yankee Doodle Dandy.
0: Yes, written H- by George M. Cohen. Yes, we used to sing it at St. Patrick's Day parties all the time. H
1: a that's,
0: that's Harrigan. That's a name that a shame never has been connected with. Harrigan.
1: That's, that's me. me.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right about Yankee yeah, You've okay.
1: seen have you seen Yankee yeah. Doodle Yes, I have. Okay. All right. I was a little bit worried there. Oh I know. Yankee Doodle Dandy, it's a musical. It stars James Cagney as George M. Cohan, one of the best catalog writers in America. Anyway, so serious catalog and, writers. Yes.
2: And yeah. and I would like to add, at this point, since we're talking about how Irish Pat is, um, I was once on a bar crawl with Pat on bloomsday
0: you're on more than one bar crawl with me
1: yes but <laughs> but specifically the one that actually fell on bloomsday i'm going to point out that pat has been present at the times in my life at probably 75 of the times i have been most drunk in my life yes but but not just
2: i was on a bar crawl with pat on bloomsday Pat, on this bar crawl on Bloomsday, was carrying around a text of Ulysses (laughs) and was randomly reading from it, reading to the other people on the bar crawl from Ulysses.
1: I think the first bar crawl I went on with you, we stopped in Loring Park and you
0: read shit? Possibly. I did try to, for a while there, lend a literary patina to the bar crawl. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> took Lord Byron's poems with me at one point. Oh boy. But the oh. Ulysses was specific. well That was par- for Bloomsday Partly it was because of Bloomsday and partly it was because Doug Shaw had been so vocal about hating Ulysses when he had oh, read yes. it that I was try I was I was uh uh lobbying. Or a petition. <laughs> I was, I was trying to, I was trying to be a corrective to Doug with okay. that.
1: Well, but then he did that whole thing with the professor at his college.
0: Yes, I am not one hundred percent responsible for that, but I think I pushed in that direction. That he gave, gave it you. another chance. Good
1: for you. I have never <laughs> read Ulysses. I'm it's, not. A-
0: it's a tough go on its own.
1: So maybe someday. Anyway, so we so, should ask you the second question. Second question: What do you do, Pat?
0: I guess I am a writer and editor of various things. I suppose my highest profile stuff is I've edited several books on new media Mm -hmm. and games for the MIT Press, the fourth volume of which will be coming out in first quarter 2016. You should all watch for it. Ooh, fourth one. It's called Zones of Control, and it's about war games of all types. Ooh, that's interesting. Tabletop war games, video war games, and defense industry war games. Well,
1: that's kind of your sweet spot of geekery.
0: Uh, Yes, yes it is. I'm doing it with uh, Matthew Kirshenbaum of the University of Maryland. We've been working on it for about a year. The manuscript is due on February 1st, and I think we'll make that. And then MIT does what it does, and then it'll be out a year from that. Uh, Other things, I guess I I perform at the Encyclopedia Show here in Minneapolis most Mm -hmm. months, and I... I'm going to do the Mesopotamia Show. Are you? Oh, yeah, that's January.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: all right. I'll see you there.
1: Mesopotamia makes me happy.
0: You're not doing extreme sports next
1: month? No, no, no. Mesopotamia was totally in my wheelhouse of history plus geography.
0: Perfect. Well, I'll see you there. I'll be well, hopefully.
1: And um, also, uh, was it Tesla? No, Turing. Turing, Turing. Turing. Mm -hmm. I signed up for that one too.
0: Yeah, I think uh, this. Here's a good segue because uh, Josh Scrimshaw is probably also doing Turing. Josh and Kelvin Hatley, who I know has been Mm -hmm. a guest on this Mm -hmm. show. And I have started a podcast called "Get Off My World," which is all about Doctor Who stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a shout out to this in the very first episode, as Colin oh, yeah. talks about being uh-huh. on this show and specifically about your experience, Melissa, watching the Ark in Space. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, God, it's <laughs> gone viral.
0: Yes. Yeah, so oh you my can, God! You can watch for that, uh, listeners. Oh, oh, oh. Um,
1: and yay! Tom Baker is my always my first Doctor. You never forget your first one, of course. <laughs> um, okay, so Pat. What would be in your personal pleasure dome if Kublai Khan did decree a pleasure dome to your specifications? What would be in it?
0: Ooh, beautiful people, art and games. Does that sound mm, right?
1: Yeah, that sounds.
0: How big is the pleasure dome? Does it as encompass big the whole as you world?
1: Want you, because there are no rules on this. Oh.
0: <laughs> the sky's the limit. As oh, they what say.
2: a wistful <laughs> sigh! Oh, I, I presume there would be a lot of books because I have seen your apartment.
0: It's, there's and
1: and an archive book, of Doctor Who
0: bookshelves, all the missing episodes of Doctor Who. Oh, I think, oh
1: that's good. I that's feel good. like that.
2: Yes, that would contribute back to the world. I'm I'm impressed by that answer. Yes, I think that's got to be that's
0: got to be it. Yeah.
1: All of the yeah. missing episodes of Doctor Who. I I support that choice. Mm-hmm. Good for you. And Pat, if you were to make a Pleasure Dome recommendation,
2: something for our communal Pleasure Dome, something that you could share with our listeners that we should all have in our lives, what would that recommendation be? And it could be anything. It
0: could be a movie. It could be a website. Music, it could be a
1: website, a, a gif you recently saw.
0: <laughs> so I recommend box Mass in B Minor, which oh. I've been listening to recently. It's long. Um, I want to say it's around two hours or so. Um, Mm -hmm. My understanding is that uh, Bach wrote the Catholic parts of this mass because he was famously a Lutheran. He was not a Catholic, but he wrote uh, the Catholic parts for some other Catholic prince or whatever. Then they kind of sat there for a long time until he decided toward the latter part of his career to finish off the Mass and um, add the parts that he hadn't written yet. Now, he'd written many, many Masses over the course of his life. That was his job, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, But here he decided to put in all of his musical talent and make it kind of an encyclopedia of Baroque forms, up to and including taking cantatas that he had written many years earlier and recasting them with different, uh, different vocal parts uh, to fit into the mass to preserve some of the best of his vocal writing oh. in this new encyclopedic Format and this is what I love about Bach right is just like he has this Universal mind where mm-hmm. I'm not just gonna make one variation. I'm gonna make 30 variations. I'm not just gonna write a uh, a Prelude and fugue for one key. I'm gonna write prelude and fugue for all of the keys on the keyboard <laughs> twice And so the, the and i the,
2: will make them upside down You right. know, Yeah,
0: I'm gonna put my uh, B-A-C-H in the in the musical notation and that, well, backwards yeah. and, uh, yeah. So it's so this is what I love about Bach and I, I am not a musicologist, so I'll never get to the bottom of all of um, the the wonderful little technical things that are in here, too. But you listen to the the Mass in B Minor, and even if you're not a religious person, as I certainly am not anymore, uh, you can, I think... uh and everyone could, in our personal pleasure dome, appreciate the vast range of musical genius that it encompasses. Yeah,
1: he's very fun to sing.
0: It, uh, oh, yeah. I've never sung him. I, I Well, I haven't sung anything since high school choir. But,
1: you no, know. I got to sing some Bach. And he's very what fun. What are the cantatas? I don't remember, and I don't want to misspeak myself. What I mostly remember is I did once see the Canadian brass in concert.
0: Mm-hmm. They do Bach.
1: And they do Bach. And what is one of their running gags is that uh, he, the main speaker, French horn? I forget. Anyway, he's sort of the main speaker. And he kept saying Bach. S-, as he put the possessive on after the fact. <laughs> We'd like to perform Bach. S- Cantata in whatever key, and it was very enjoyable, and they were very delightful, and of course the music was brilliant. So, yay! That's our first musical recommendation. That makes me happy. I like it. I like it. Oh, yay! All right, we should wrap this up. We should. We should. Among other reasons, because I need to pee. Yes. Let's wrap it up. All right. This has been another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. We've been talking with Pat Harrigan. Yay! Yay! About David. Bowie in movies and the David Bowie ness of it all. And I have been Windy and that has been Melissa. And we will talk to you next week, dear listeners. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. 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 Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. he has made some poor choices in his life and they are reflected in his physiognomy
0: (laughs) (laughs) you hear that David (laughs)
1: Lee Roth not Bowie